0: Seated. Just a couple of notes before we open God's Word together. After the service, probably by the food line, I'm going to have a card. Uh, For Vodi Bakum and his family. As a church, uh, the past year we've been supporting them. And they've had some unexpected needs come up. And we're going to be sending a special love gift. And thought uh, what an opportunity it would be to just jot a little note. uh, Say that we're uh, praying for him and his family as uh, they're ministering in in, uh, Zambia. And uh, the opportunity we have to uh, partner with multiple people throughout the world. uh, To proclaim the gospel. And uh, what, a, uh, what a blessing it is. Like I said a, a moment ago, we're, uh, we're beginning, we're going to take a break from Luke for the next four weeks. And, uh, and take a look at uh, a few different aspects of the Advent. This week we're looking at how the prophets foretold. And we're going to be looking at uh, the angels, the shepherds, and also the, the magi or the wise men. Uh, but as we begin our time, let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your perfect word, your word that has come down to us by the inspiration of the Spirit, through faithful men who wrote it, but through your church that has helped protect it. We thank you for the, the opportunity we have to, to read your word in our language. Lord, we pray for those who who do not have that blessing, that you would give them uh, the, the word in their own tongue through the faithfulness of, of your people who go out and proclaim it to, and translate it. Bless the work that is happening as we speak. And Lord, as we open it today, Lord, we confess that we are a needful people, that we might understand a few words, uh, but we do not understand its true significance without the power of the Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, work in us. Fill us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever made a promise? Have you ever been given a promise? A a promise like, hey, the check's in the mail. Aren't those our favorite ones? Or, hey, we should get together. We've all made promises, and sadly, some of the promises we've made, we've, uh, we've known from the beginning that we couldn't keep them. Yet today, I want us to see through the pages of Scripture that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. That God is the faithful promise keeper. Today, we're going to be seeing a promise of God that he made that had the odds of one in one with 500, or excuse me, 157 zeros behind it. I don't know how to say that word, but... One to the 157th power in coming true. But from the beginning, in a sense, God had made a promise. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit, but for for right now, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Some of you after the service may say, hey, can... Can I get some of your notes and feel free to, to shoot me a, an email because I think we're going to be bouncing around a lot to try to get all these texts might be challenging. but Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of those, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. You might think, okay, this is an odd passage to start from. But yet, looking and seeing what God is saying here, there's actually a promise here. A a promise that if man perfectly obeyed God, he would live. But with it, with the disobedience, would come a problem. And sadly, the problem came to this earth. As Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 6, look there. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. They chose to sin. They chose to break God's command. The command that had an amazing promise that everlasting life would be. Perfect communion with him would be. But it was marred. It was marred by their sin. And in the righteous judgment of God based upon his character, he brings judgment. Look down in verse 23. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he be put lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. You can see verse 24, excuse me, as well. So he drove out the man and placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There's a a physical reality of this, that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, but a spiritual reality, that they were cast away from the presence of God, that their sin had impacted their relationship with God, and He is a holy God, He is a fair God, and He cast them out. But even in His casting out, He was kind and gracious to them. He provided a covering for them, a covering of an animal skin. One author has written, for a moment, Satan was deliriously happy. He thought he had messed up everything. He had ruined a perfect world. He had damaged a perfect marriage. He had broken fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God. But God would not stay there. That promise that God had had of eternal life would still be made possible. But it was no longer in the hands of Adam and Eve. They had broken God's law. There was nothing that they could do. And so God brought about his plan. I used to say that the wisdom of God was that God will bring about the best possible good by the best possible means for the most possible people for the most possible time. But that is so man-centered. It's all about what God's going to give man. The wisdom of God is about his wisdom bringing about his glory and that's exactly what he does we can read all of scripture we can follow this scarlet thread focusing upon man but we've missed the point yes there is a promise that we will see a promise of eternal life through this messiah but it is not about us it's about god about God being a gracious God to redeem a fallen people and the benefit of that that he saves sinners like us but we are not the focus he is the focus look back at genesis 3:14 God makes a promise So so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice that promise there. The promise of a seed. We're, we're not talking about farming seeds. Notice many translations even capitalize the word "seed." In the second part of, of verse twenty, excuse me, fifteen says, "He shall bruise." We understand that this seed—it's it, a—it's a figurative language, but there's a seed meaning one of Adam's lineage would bruise the head. Of the serpent. God would redeem a fallen people, that something was going to take place, and he makes a promise. But God, that promise maker, also promised through Noah. Noah In Genesis chapter 9, if you want to jump there, Genesis 9 verse 11, God says to Noah, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and And the earth. God had made a promise that though he was a righteous God and would pour out his wrath, he would no longer do it through a flood. No more total judgment by water, but God would continue to fulfill his promise. Today, when we look in the sky and we see the beautiful rainbow, it should be a reminder of the judgment and mercy of God. The judgment that happened in the flood, but the mercy that he withholds his wrath today. God made that promise not to bring judgment. He also made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise of a seed to Noah, excuse me, to Adam was passed through Abraham. We, we shouldn't just skip over this word seed that it's a, it's a word you hear used on purpose that that scarlet thread, the promise of God to provide a seed, He would bring it, and it would come through Abraham. But not only would it come through Abraham, it would come through David. In Jeremiah 33, we see, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch, and I know you're not there, but in that verse it's capitalized to help us see. To spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. A promise to David. That seed of Adam... That seed of Abraham would also be a seed of David because God would keep his promise. And God would communicate that promise through the prophets. He would communicate it through the prophets to proclaim. David Jeremiah in his uh, Why the Nativity book, he says, why would he, meaning God, let them see what was to come? Because he loves us and he Wants us to know what lies ahead, whether for our encouragement or as a sober warning. A prophet's central mission, as a matter of fact, is not to predict but to preach. And I want us to look today that when we often think of prophets, we think of prophets for telling. And we're going to see that today. But let us not forget that the primary job of them was to proclaim, to preach. They preached current warnings. Their job was to preach what God was doing. To bring a a warning to a, a land or a people that had strayed from God. To warn them to say, hey, here's the outcome of this disobedience. But yes, not only did they preach current warnings, they also preached future happenings. And that's what we'll look at today. The people of God were being brought out by him. And at times it would not have made sense from a human perspective. And God blessed them with prophets to proclaim, here's what's going to happen and why it's going to happen. To have a prophet say, hey, your whole nation is going to be taken into slavery. That'd be a hard message to proclaim. But that wasn't the end of the prophets' messages. It would be that there would be a bringing back, that God would fulfill his promises. That no longer were they going to wait for some earthly king, that the prophets were going to speak of a man, the one, the one true king who would end all of this. Let's see the, this person who has spoken of. God did not just vaguely say, hey, there will be a Messiah. Countless times throughout the Old Testament, he speaks and gives a a better understanding. First of all, his lineage or his family. The Messiah would be a descendant of Noah, of Noah's son, Shem. In Genesis 9, 26, if you're still in Genesis. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, And may Canaan be his servant, may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. See the blessing upon Shem? Chapter 10 goes on to list the descendants of Shem, noting that he was the ancestor of Eber, or Heber. Sound a little familiar? The beginning of the Hebrews. Where Christ would come from, the beginning of the Hebrew race, we see uh, Eber or Heber's name in Luke 3, 35. But not only would be he be a descendant of Shem, he would be a descendant of Shem named or through Abraham. We've seen this already. That in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This isn't just speaking of a, a physical blessing. It is speaking of a spiritual blessing. We see the fulfillment of Abraham in Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Sometimes we read the beginning of Matthew and we just skip over chapter 1. all oh, the genealogy. But when you begin to look and to see the names and the genealogies, you realize that that was helping to understand the promises that God made in the Old Testament are being fulfilled. They're not just there by accident. And I I agree, sometimes it's hard. It's like, I can't even say these names. How am I supposed to understand why these are here? But when we begin to see Scripture as a whole, these are little clues to understand these aren't here on accident. These are here because of these. Not only was this Messiah to be of the line of Shem, to be the line of Abraham. Really quickly, Matthew one twenty two. If you ever have a time in just a, an interesting study, go through the book of Matthew and look for this phrase, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Multiple times in Matthew. Matthew is called the most Hebrew book. It's kind of the most Jewish book. It's kind of a connection between the the old covenant and new covenant. And he helps kind of connect those dots for us. This happened, not on accident, because it needed to be fulfilled. Notice Matthew one twenty two falls place right after the genealogy. He'd be a descendant of Shem, a descendant of Abraham. But he would be a descendant of Abraham's son, Isaac, not Ishmael. Genesis chapter 16, excuse me, 17, verses 20 and 21 says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But... My covenant I will, make, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Again, the blessing from a worldly perspective should have been from the firstborn. And God says, no, it shall be Isaac. God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham To provide that seed. But it was not through Abraham trying to make it happen. It was by the way God would make it happen. it would be through Isaac. We see Isaac's name listed in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Seeing that God is faithful to keep his promises. He would be a descendant of Abraham through Isaac and he would be a descendant through Isaac through Jacob not Esau in numbers chapter 24 verse 17 says i see him but now i behold him but not near a star shall come out of jacob a scepter shall rise out of israel a batter the bow excuse me and batter the brow of moab and destroy all the sons of tumult that scepter is that word that we see speaking of David as well, that king. But it would not come from Esau, it would come from Jacob. And we see Jacob's name in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy. This Messiah would also be a descendant of the family of Jesse in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. Isaiah chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, or a a shoot out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge in the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by hearing of his ears, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Are we speaking about just some earthly king here? No. This would be one who was like no other. And we see Jesse and Benjamin's names in Matthew one and Luke three. Again he would be of the house of David, Second Samuel seven verses twelve to sixteen. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, this is being said of David, I will set up your seed. Notice that word again. It's not on accident. Adam, seed, Abraham, seed, David, seed. I will set up your seed after you and will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established forever. David through Solomon came Christ. We see in Matthew chapter one. Again, the things of the old Testament are not there on accident. Yeah, it takes study. It takes time for us to look back and to see but it should cause us to say that there is not a chance possible that these false people who claim to be Christ could be. For they can't fulfill these prophecies. The Messiah was even said to come from two different places. One from a small city called Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, just so you guys know. But. Micah 5.2, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Even there we see the eternal sonship of Christ, that he would be the one, that he would come from Bethlehem. We see that fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 20. Not only would he be from Bethlehem, but as Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Fulfilled in Matthew 2.15 when they fled because of Herod down to Egypt. Hosea was prophesying about the son. This Messiah, his work, he would be a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him shall you hear. He would be a shepherd, Micah 5.4, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He would be a priest Psalm 110 verse 4, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And again, we see that in Hebrews chapter 7, spoken of Christ. And he'd be a lamb from Isaiah 53. The lamb led to the slaughter. See, all these messages of hope that were given to the nation Israel through the ups and the downs, through the being taken into captivity, through their disobedience and their obedience, through the cycle of the judges, God was faithful to continue to give them a promise to say, the Messiah is coming. And to put ourselves in their, feet, their shoes, it probably felt like, is he ever going to come? That's why I I sing that O Come, O Come, Emmanuel a little differently when I think about that. The longing. That even from the end of the Old Testament as we have the the given word of God, there was 400 years of silence that God did not speak. Would they be losing hope? But God had made a promise. Was he going to keep his promise? Not only did they speak of who he was and what he would do and where he was from, they spoke about his mother from Isaiah 7. Again, a famous passage, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And in Luke 1 we see the the interpretation which means God with us. We're not just talking about some random woman. We're speaking about the woman who would be used of God to bring forth that Messiah. His reign, the scepter, would not pass from, from Judah in Genesis 49.10. And he would come while the temple of Jerusalem was standing in Malachi 3.1. And we see those fulfilled. Therefore when we read the words of Isaiah for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given. We read those back and see the answer is Christ. The people of the Old Testament read those and held on to them as a hope of a promise. A hope of a promise that of this one who would be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father the prince of peace. It may be challenging for us to read the Old Testament prophets. We've been, as a family, reading through the book of Isaiah. And especially with little kids, it's a challenging book to work through. There's a lot of prophecies. There's figurative language. It causes our minds to have to really think. But why study the prophets? Because it teaches us and it shows us that God keeps his promises. We all battle that question of, is God really going to do what he said he's going to do? I, I know God has has promised that he, he's working all these things in my life for good. It doesn't necessarily mean a positive good, but He's he's conforming me into Christ. But Lord, this is a little much right now. Are you really going to do what you said you're going to do? And we can look back and we can see the answer is, Yes. It, it may feel long. It may feel like, Lord, when? But He's faithful. He's faithful to fulfill His promises. The purpose is to show that there is hope. I was, I was amazed. Turn to Romans fifteen. You might say, okay, this isn't a prophecy. No, but it's speaking of. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before, what's he speaking about here? The Old Testament, yeah. Everything that it had become before. Notice, all those things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We might have hope. You might say, I don't always get hope when I read uh, the book of Judges. The cycle that goes over and over again. The the lostness of people that just keep falling into the same sin. And I kind of feel like that. But that's why we need to not just look at one piece of the Bible. We need to look at that overarching picture of the faithfulness of God. To fulfill his promises. For it brings hope. For time... Um, Just look at verse 5. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded toward one another according to Christ. Jump down to verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcised for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it was written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Notice, Jesus Christ became a servant to confirm what? The promises. That Christ was the fulfillment to show that God who had made the promises kept his promise. and that the gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. What an amazing verse that the scriptures have been given to us for hope. But often our lack of hope is a lack of remembering what God has done. Why 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 do you think so much in the psalms? Does the psalmist say, "Let us not forget. Let us remember." In Deuteronomy 5 and and 6, God is preparing them to go into the land and he says, remind your children of these things. So much so, write it upon your doorposts. Write it upon your hearts. Let it be a frontlet to your eyes. Don't forget what God has done. Because we're so easy to forget. Like the disciples in the In the boat when the waves were crashing. They forgot. They forgot who was with them. They forgot where hope was. It was not in the circumstances. It was in the person of Christ. He was the promise. He was the one who confirmed the promises. And God keeps his promises based upon his character. For his glory and not only does he just show hope but it is something to show that hope is fulfilled the fulfillment of god's promises hebrews ten twenty three says let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful The writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage the church to to hold fast, to hold fast to who you know Christ is. But he says, "How are we able to do that? We're to do it without wavering, because he who promised is faithful." It's not in our strength that we trust; it's in God's strength and His character for, to fulfill His promises. This Advent season is an amazing time for us to remember where hope is found. It's not in this world. Even when we are blessed to live in a a great country with great freedoms and the blessings, our hope is still not here. Our, our, Our hope is to be in Christ alone. The fulfillment of the promises of the prophets Because the the odds of that promise, one in 157, whatever, one with 157 zeros in the back, was fulfilled. Because God keeps his promises. He was there, he had brought about the answer to the problem. Remember back in Genesis 3? The promise of eternal life was lost because of sin? But the promise of eternal life was brought back. Romans 5 verse 2, speaking of Christ, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, Christ is the only source of hope. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And again Romans 15 verse 12. And again Isaiah says there shall be a root of Jesse. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. As As we are struggling with hope, we have to set our mind upon the things that are true. But we must have God's word to put it into our memory, to put away the thinking of hopelessness, and to put on the thinking of hopefulness. But all of our thinking has to be directed by Scripture. We're not just wishing something to happen and, well, I hope it'll happen. Again, what we're speaking of here is a hope that is not in this earth. It is in Christ alone. As we come to this Advent season, as we celebrate, sometimes holidays such as this can be times of great heartache. The times of remembering of things lost. They can be times of of not celebrating who God is. And I encourage us to to fill our minds with with who God is. to, To maybe recall his faithfulness in your life this past year. To focus upon the blessings that he has brought. But most of all to remember where true hope is found. It's not in the scene of some little Christmas carol. It's in the hope of Christ. For we who are without hope have been given hope in Christ alone. But it is because God is faithful to keep his promises. And we can hold out to hope on the promises of God because of his faithfulness. Looking back, we can see that God was faithful to his promises, and we can look ahead and know that God will continue to be faithful to his promises. Do we believe that? What maybe in your life today is causing you to question God's promises. Or maybe you're just on the outside completely saying, God doesn't keep his promises. I challenge you, look at the word of God and to see the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises. And he is that God who continues to keep his promises. Interestingly enough, the the first candle in the Advent season is the candle of hope. So I think sometimes it's the first thing that we forget when we put our trust in ourselves and not in the amazing God who keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a perfect heavenly Father, that you completely fulfill all that you say that you are going to do lord i thank you that you have glorified yourself in showing that that you are the covenant keeping god that throughout all of human history you have accomplished your plan for your glory and today we can look back and we can see your faithfulness. We can declare that you are the faithful one of Israel. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would put our hope in you. That most of all, Lord, that we would put our hope and our trust in you for eternal life, not our own wisdom, not our own strength. Lord, I pray that this Advent season would be a time of rejoicing, a time of looking back and remembering your faithfulness, but also looking ahead, looking ahead for the the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has said he will come back. And just as you have been faithful to keep your promises in the past, so too we hold on to the promise of that, that you will come again. That you will come again and receive us unto yourself. That where you are, we may be also. Oh Lord, help us to long for that day. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.